So, the big question is this. How are ambitious people like us, who don't have a lot of resources, did not go to Ivy League colleges, were not born into wealth, how do we become resourceful enough? Use our creativity, our dedication, and a little bit of crazy to bootstrap our way to realizing our dreams. Whether it is launching a new company, launching a new app, or making it to the top of the corporate ladder. That is the question. And this podcast will give you the answers. Please like, share, and subscribe to get new episodes, videos, and other updates. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this new episode of Bootstrapping Your Dream Show. I'm your host, Manoj Agarwal, and today I will be talking with Dr. Glenn Livington, a veteran psychologist and longtime CEO and entrepreneur. So as we all know, healthy uh, eating and uh, taking care of our bodies is paramount to our entrepreneurial success or professional success. And that's what we are going to talk about today. Uh, Dr. Glenn has graciously consented to this interview and share all his wisdom about how we can stop overeating, stress eating, or binge eating, and then stick to a particular healthy diet. Welcome, Dr. Glenn Livingston. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You can please call me Glenn. Hi, Glenn. Uh, we are excited to have you and uh, learn from you today. So let's get started. Um, excited to be here too. Great. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your background and your experience uh, so that our audience can get to know you better? Yeah. Um, so I had a dual career in both psychology and um, marketing. I was an entrepreneur for a long time. And I've, as a matter of fact, I've never really worked for anybody else except when I was an intern at the hospital for my, my final year of graduate school. Um, but for the purpose of this interview, I, why don't we talk a little more about my personal story, if that's okay? Sure, for sure. When I was about 17, I discovered that because I'm 6'4 and I'm reasonably muscular, if I worked out for two or three hours a day, I could eat anything I wanted to. Oh, like, uh, you know, a box of donuts, whole pizzas, box of muffins, box of chocolate bars, whatever I wanted to eat, I could eat. And it was great. I thought it was like, that um, was a special trick that I discovered. And, and I basically made, my, made myself into a big exercising, eating, pooping, and sleeping machine. That's what most teenagers are, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny. I, I guess you could think of it like that. Yeah. I, I did fine with it for about five years. I got, got through college like that. I don't think I saw a vegetable until I was 21. Oh, but wow. when I was done with college and I got married and I had all these responsibilities and I was driving two hours each way to graduate school and I had patients and then my wife actually wanted to talk to me when I got home, I didn't have the time. I, I couldn't work out two or three hours a day. I could work out maybe two or three hours a week at best. And my metabolism was slowing down, but I, I found that the food still had a hold on me. It's like it had a mind of its own. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. I couldn't stop eating it. And I just got fat. I just got fatter and fatter. It wasn't in a straight line. So I would, I'm from a family of 17 psychologists and psychotherapists. And so I assumed if I took a psychological perspective that I could figure out what the hole in my heart was, what was hurting me so that I wouldn't have to fill the hole in my stomach. Yeah. So I would, go, I would go to experts and 
let's see all the best psychologists and psychiatrists and I took medication and went to Overeaters Anonymous. I even did my own 40,000 person study. I'll tell you about that in a little bit. But basically, I was trying to love myself thin and I would, or nurture my inner wounded child back to health. I would, I would get a little thinner and then a lot fatter and a little thinner and a lot fatter. And it was a very soulful journey. I learned an awful lot about myself. I think it, it shaped the person that I am today. I wouldn't give it up. But none of it really solved the problem. And I'll tell you up front, and then I'll tell you a little more of the story. The reason I don't think it solved the problem was because the part of the brain that responds to food addiction, that responds to any addiction, really, is the reptilian brain. And the reptilian brain doesn't know love. It, 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 um, if you think of this as the brainstem, when it sees something in the environment, it says, do I eat it, do I mate with it, or do I kill it? Mm-hmm. Eat, mate, or kill. There's no love there. Yeah. It's, it's the mammalian brain, and then the neocortex on top of it that says, wait a minute, before you eat, mate, or kill that thing, what impact is that going to have on the people that you love and the, your tribe and your, you know, the well-being of the whole family. And then the neocortex is all about um, the things we think of as uniquely human, like uh, creativity and spirituality and art and music and long-term goals like weight loss and fitness. And when I was trying to love myself thin, what I was really doing is saying, let me give this thing priority. Let me give the, and, and it was the wrong choice because every time I would do that, if I'd be at our Starbucks and I heard this little voice in my head that says, you know, chocolate comes from a cocoa bean. Yeah. That comes from a plant, and so it must be a vegetable, right? And that would just run rampant all the way through everything that was important to me. Yeah. So along the way, there were two other things that helped me to figure out that I had the wrong approach. And that the right approach turned out to be, for me and for you know the hundreds of thousands of people that read my book and stuff, it, it turned out to be more like an alpha wolf. It turned out to be more like um, if an alpha wolf is challenged for leadership, it doesn't say, oh, my goodness, someone needs a hug. It says, get back in line or I'll kill you. It, snarl, it snarls and it growls and it asserts its superiority. Yeah, yeah. And, and an analogy in, in our everyday lives would be when our bladder presses for release. Like, mm-hmm. like I could be in the middle of a meeting with you yeah. and I could really have to pee. I, yeah, I don't yeah. at the moment, but a little bit. But it doesn't matter because I'm going to wait until after the meeting's over and go to the bathroom. I'm very comfortable with myself about that. I, it's a strong biological urge, but I'm in charge, right? Yeah. I, it, because of the kind of person I want to be in society, because of the commitments that I've made, yeah, yeah. I'm going to engage in a particular way. It's the same thing with my testicles. If there's an attractive woman on the street, I might feel an urge, but I'm not going to run up and kiss her. In fact, I probably won't even talk to her because I'm chicken in, in real life. Um, so we, we live very comfortably with that impulse because we know that we're superior. And I said, well, if I can just get really clear about what that impulse is, where it's coming from, then I could assert that superiority. And maybe this is more like capturing and caging a rabid animal than it is loving myself back to health. I was simultaneously doing a lot of consulting for big food and big pharma too. But okay. during, during those years, I never had kids and I never commuted. My wife traveled for business. So I had a lot of time on my hands and I did a lot of consulting. And I saw what 
big food was doing was engineering these hyper palatable concentrations of starch and sugar and fat and oil and excitotoxins. And it's all designed to hit your bliss point without giving you the nutrition to feel satisfied. Mm -hmm. So that was an overwhelming force that had nothing to do with my upbringing, nothing to do with a hole in my heart, nothing to do with my psychology, just this overwhelming force out there that I was up against and everybody else is also. I knew that the advertising industry was spending billions of dollars a year to convince us that this stuff was healthy. I remember a VP at a major food bar manufacturer told me, you know, Glenn, our most profitable insight was when we took the vitamins out of the bar and we made them look healthy instead. So mm-hmm. they, they made the packaging vibrant and colorful, which in nature would signal a diversity of nutrients that are available. I mean, when you look at a salad and it's got green lettuce and, you know, sparkling carrots and yeah, yeah. red cabbage, red, red red cabbage, red um, tomatoes and purple cabbage and blueberries, all those antioxidants are available. That's, that's what your brain evolved to recognize, but they're faking us out. So is, that, is that to reduce cost or to make it more addictive? Both. Oh, I see. Both, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. They took the vitamins out to reduce cost and because it was making the, it was making the uh, bars not taste well. And yeah, it was for both okay. reasons. So, right. so, so the, bo- the bottom line is that I realized that I had to take this more aggressive approach Mm-hmm. And I can tell you more stories about that if you want to. But what what it came down to was, this is a little embarrassing. And I was I was not going to tell anybody about this. I was just going to do it myself because I was a child and family psychologist. I was not an eating disorder psychologist. I just had a really serious eating problem. Yeah. So I kept the journal and I decided that I was going to draw some very clear lines in the sand. And this gets to the technique that we might want to teach some of your entrepreneurs. Yeah. And I would make a line that said something like, I will never have chocolate during the week again. And if I heard something in my head that suggested that I should have chocolate during the week, like, oh, it's okay, you could start next week. You worked out hard enough. You're not going to gain any weight. It'll be fine. I decided that that was my, I'm so sorry, that that was my pig squealing for chocolate. Uh, And the chocolate itself was pig slop. Uh, The squeal that was the voice that said that I can start tomorrow or I, I worked out enough, that was, that was pig squeal. And I don't listen to farm animals tell me what to do. So my pig wants it. I don't want it. And as ridiculous as that sounds, as primitive as it is, and I, and I, I want to tell you, I'm a sophisticated psychologist. I've done tens of millions of dollars of consulting. I'm embarrassed to be up here telling you that I got a pig inside me and it squeals for slop. But no, as, no. I mean, I mean, what you're saying is exactly right on. I mean, I, I, I'll share my story later on, um, which was very similar. Like, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not a trained psychologist, but I came up with something similar. Really? I'll, I'll share with you later. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, good. You, you have a pig inside you too. I used, I used Mickey Mouse instead of the pig, but. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I, as as crude as it sounds, as ridiculous as it sounds. What would happen is it would wake me up at the moment of impulse. It would give me those extra microseconds to remember who I was and the choices I could make. I didn't always make the right choice, but I no longer felt out of control. I no no longer felt like I was powerless. I felt like it's me. I'm I'm the one who makes these choices. And if I can choose to eat chocolate, I could also choose not to. And slowly but surely, that's what happened. And I made a whole bunch of other kinds of rules and I figured out how to avoid getting too restrictive and figured out how to add rules that would ensure I did healthy things rather than unhealthy things. And, you know, now I'm not 280 pounds anymore and um, 
I got a pig inside me. I don't eat pig slop. I don't let farm animals tell me. That's awesome. That's a great story. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, just to quickly share my story, like, you know, I've been, uh, I, I was trying to uh, learn uh, stock trading and, you know, figuring out how to invest my own money. And, uh, you know, most people who don't, who have not delved into that, it's, uh, you know, when you start it, it, it sounds like more analytical uh, um, work that you need to analyze a lot of companies and all that. But it turns out it's more psychological work where, you know, you need to be able to follow the advice that you're getting or the system that you have built. And I was ne- not never able to follow it because, you know, the fear of loss always kicked in. And, and then I trained my mind to talk to myself as Mickey Mouse, like when, when those thoughts came up about not doing the right thing, you know, imagine myself talking as Mickey Mouse so that I can just sort of ignore it as a, as a laughable. That's uh, great. Yeah. That's terrific. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what, what, it, what it comes down to is we have the ability to intellectually define how we want to behave yeah. and follow that as a matter of character. Yeah, yeah. It, it takes a little bit of emphasis and training. And at the moment of impulse, you need something primitive because it's hard to access all the intellect to, w- to wake you up. But once you're awake, then you can decide what you want to decide. And um, Exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah and it, it's interesting. I mean, again, you know, you must know um, all about this, but for me, it was interesting to understand that, they, you know, we have the ability to talk to our mind and sort of tell it what, what to think and what to ignore and things like that. And yeah, you know, that was a big aha moment for sure. Yeah. Our, our brain is not a, it's not a singular entity really. It, it comes in layers and part of it is more like a, just a bodily organ and the rest of it is what we think of as us. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. And so you can, you can learn like Catherine Hansen says to dismiss the urges that you don't want like neurological junk. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Um, all right, let, let's talk about some of the root causes, why people, uh, you know, uh, choose these unhealthy habits of binge eating and whatnot. So, you know, I understand if you run into these issues, um, how, how you were able to resolve it, which is a very unique and, uh, you know, very fun way of doing it. But wh- why do people get into these situations in the first place? I think you mentioned a little bit uh, earlier on, but it'll be good to touch upon that. So I think that's a fascinating conversation. I'm going to tell you an in-depth story to to illustrate it. The answer is food is very much related to your upbringing and your particular patterns can tell you an awful lot about what happened in your upbringing. That doesn't mean that knowing why is going to fix the problem. It's Mm -hmm. just an interesting, soulful exploration. I'll give you an example. I did this 40,000-person study. And I ask people, what foods do you struggle to stop eating once you start? And what's ailing you in your life? And I look for relationships. Mm-hmm. I found three significant relationships. One was that people that struggled with chocolate, like me, I always started my binges with chocolate, we tended to be lonely or brokenhearted, maybe a little depressed. Mm-hmm. People who struggled with salty, crunchy things like chips and pretzels mm-hmm. and such, they tended to be stressed at work and people who struggled with soft, chewy things, soft, chewy, starchy things, they tended to be stressed at home. I thought that's really interesting. Before I start talking to clients about this, I'm going to go figure it out for myself. And I went to my mom, who's also a psychotherapist and also a chocoholic. And I said, mom, what is it in my upper? I mean, I was in a bad marriage at the time and 
you know, of course I was unhappy and I told her that. But I said, what was in my upbringing that set, set up this pattern? Mm. Mom says, honey, I'm so sorry. She says, I'm so embarrassed. And I said, mom, it's okay. Whatever it is, it's 40 years ago. I forgive you. I love you. Just, just tell me. <laughs> and so she makes her way through her embarrassment. And she says, well, in 1965, when you were one year old, my dad, your grandfather, just got out of prison. Yeah. And he was guilty. And he was doing these very bad things. And I didn't know it. And I'd idolized them my whole life. And my whole world fell apart. Mm. I was very depressed. At the same time, your dad, my husband, was a captain in the army. And they were talking about sending him to Vietnam. Nice. And we thought we had another one on the way by then. And I thought, I'm going to be a, an army widow with two small kids. And how am I going to support myself? This is going to be awful. So I was sitting and staring at the wall most of the day. And you were running around and asking to be loved and held and played with, and I just couldn't take it. So what I did was I got a refrigerator and I kept it on the floor, a little one of those floor refrigerators. And I put a big bottle of chocolate Bosco syrup in the refrigerator. And when you came running to me, I said, go get your Bosco, Glenn. And you'd go crawling over to the refrigerator. You'd open it up. You'd take out the Bosco and you'd suck on the bottle and you'd go into a chocolate sugar coma. And See, Manish, if, if, if this was a movie, at this point, my mom and I would hug and we would cry and I would never struggle with chocolate again, yeah. right? Well, I mean, we had a hug and we forgave each other and we learned a lot more about each other. It led to more conversations. This is why I say it's a soulful thing to do. But my chocolate eating got worse. Mm. And the chocolate eating got worse because of that pig inside me. See, what the pig did is it said, you know what, Glenn, you're right. Our mama didn't love us enough. Yeah. And she left a great big chocolate-sized hole in your heart. Yeah. And until you can find the love of your life and get out of this marriage, you're going to have to keep on binging on chocolate. Yippee, let's go do it. Let's go get some more. Yeah. It was that voice of justification. And so what I learned was, yes, there are emotions and memories that can trigger the desire to binge. But emotions don't have to be dangerous. If you, if you have a big fire in the middle of a very well-protected fireplace in the middle of a living room, that becomes the center of hearth and home. It's only dangerous if there are holes in the fireplace, if the fireplace isn't well-contained. It turns out that voice of justification pokes holes in the fireplace. Mm. And it's about 10 times easier to recognize and disempower that voice of justification than it is to put out the fire. Mm. So, so, I learned from that point forward, which was about 10 years ago, I guess now, maybe 11, that what I wanted to do was identify all the crazy things that my pig was telling me. You can start tomorrow. Uh, it doesn't matter. Chocolate comes from a cocoa bean. You know, uh, you've, you've not been able to do this before. Why do you think you can do it now? All those crazy things that the pig was telling me, I learned how to dispute them and disempower it so that I didn't have to listen to it when I tried to poke holes in the fireplace. And then I could feel anything I want to wasn't always pleasant. I had sad feelings. I had angry feelings. I had unhappy feelings. But I also had great feelings, and I was much more present. But I no longer feared my feelings as something that I had to escape from. And people do look to escape from feelings because with food because when you overload the digestive system, the nervous system doesn't have the same energy to conduct the emotion, so food has a kind of anesthetic or numbing effect. Yeah. Um, but you don't have to do that if you learn how to disempower the rationalizations. Well, this is this is very interesting. Like you know, um, as I said earlier, like I've had uh, different issues, and I talk to other people, 
and pretty much everything sort of what we go through has the same pattern of uh, root causes like you know it comes from our childhood or how we were brought up or some things in the past that are stuck in our head uh, so it's interesting how we are so um, different as humans but at the end of the day at the basic uh, sort of structural level our thoughts and and beliefs they originate from similar similar roots yes and, yeah. yes they do yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Very fascinating. All right. So now let's talk about um, some of, you know, uh, a lot of our um, audiences, uh, profes- they are professionals or entrepreneurs. So what are some of the uh, negative effects of uh, this type of behavior of unhealthy living and what kind of like mental stress it causes and uh, blockages it causes in the entrepreneurial journey or, or your success well, story? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you a couple of things. First of all, Let's talk about sugar. So sugar will get you high for 18 to 32 minutes. That's what the pickup is for it, unless you have more. But after 18 to 32 minutes, you're going to crash. It's going to take several hours to restore your blood sugar. During those hours, you're going to feel cranky and fatigued and have difficulty concentrating, and you're going to be much less productive. Ironically, your pig will tell you that you need the sugar to be more productive, but you're actually making yourself less productive by having the sugar, unless you keep eating it all day long, at which point you're going to crash at night and suffer all kinds of health effects. So there's a, there's a presence of mind, there's a clarity, there's a freedom of energy that occurs when you can regulate it more effectively uh, with, your, with your conscious control. The other thing that can be helpful for <clears throat> entrepreneurs is to, I mean, I, I'm an entrepreneur. My whole life I've been an, an entrepreneur. I, I lost, um, once lost $700,000 and you don't have to have $700,000 to lose it. Wow. So I, I, went, I went up really deep in debt. Yeah. And during that time I got myself really fat. That's when I was at my fattest. And I, yeah. I always say I made myself fat, sick and broke, but I could have just been broke. Yeah. And I think I would have recovered a lot quicker and I probably wouldn't have gone down as far. Excuse me one second. <laughs> No one being a noisy interview. My apologies. Okay. I, I wouldn't have gone down as far as I went if I had been taking better care of my health. Yeah. I think that um, I think that a lot of the financial fears that we have are exaggerated. I mean, most, most entrepreneurs come near going broke at one point. But what I discovered when I went that far in debt was that the bottom was a lot farther down than I thought it was. Mm. And I didn't really need to escape the way that I thought that I did. I mean, I... I stayed in touch with all my vendors. I paid them very small amounts. I, I was a year behind on, on payables. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the banks were going to come take the house away or everything, but they were all very pleasant and said, no, 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 we understand, and thank you for staying in touch with us. And it was amazing how just staying present to the best of my ability and connecting with those people made all the difference in the world. Yeah. And so I think that if you, if you recognize that no matter what you're going through, you're going to come through it a lot better if you stay away from the indulgences than if you, than if you indulge in them and if you make yourself, make, make yourself awesome. sick. Cause you, awesome. yeah. That's awesome. It's, it's, it's again, you know, very fascinating to see how your mind, body and your, you know, external environment is also connected and you cannot have one without the other. Like, you know, you cannot have success without addressing all these issues that you have internally, mentally, yeah. physically. You know, Manish, you, you can also do what you did, and you could define a goal, like very a very specific goal, and then any thought which suggests you're not going to make it, 
becomes your your pig, your negative thinking pig. And you can purge your mind of all of that doubt and insecurity and focus on the positive that way. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's sort of the biggest quest we are uh, we are all after. I, I mean, we um, we tend to sort of add some proxies to it, like you know, I want financial success, I want happiness in my marriage and whatnot. I mean, those are really important things. But at the end of the day, we are trying to sort of just understand ourselves and 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 live to our fullest potential, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Um, now. Tell us a little, you know, going back to your story. So, you know, you, you came up with this system and uh, and you had up and ups and downs. But how long did it take for you to, uh, you know, shed off all that weight and sort of? Yeah, it, it didn't come off immediately. I mean, I what happened immediately was that I recognized that I was not powerless. So I would say that I stopped gaining weight immediately. Okay. And I started to slowly recognize that I could make choices. I could make better choices. What, there was a period once I recognized that I could make the choice that I suddenly realized that, well, nobody's telling me what to eat. So I don't have to give up anything I don't want to give up. I can make my own rules. It's kind of silly for me to break my own rules. So let me make some more lenient rules. Let me stop trying to starve myself and get thin really quickly. And let's just see if I can start the weight moving down. And that, that was a really big turnaround for me. And I'd say... Oh, within about two years, I probably went from the highest I ever weighed myself was 257, but I'm pretty sure I got up to about 280. Mm-hmm. And then when I weighed myself again, a couple of years later, it was um, around 240. Okay. And, and I hovered there for another year or two until I really decided to get tighter with my plan. What, what would happen was there would be something I would decide I had to get rid of in my diet. So eventually I decided I'm not going to eat chocolate at all. But I'd always ask myself, what do I have to add instead? What am I really looking for in the chocolate? And I, I knew it was energy. There's some kind of energy. So I started having these kale banana smoothies. And at first I thought it was really stupid. I thought this is never going to work. But every time I had a craving for chocolate, I would have a kale banana smoothie. And within a month or two, I was craving the kale banana smoothies. Mm-hmm. And so once I recognized that principle of substituting whole, fresh, ripe, raw, natural foods for a lot of things that I was craving, and I recognized that I had the power to do it, I started doing it all over the place. And I I got more and more of the industrial processed food out of my diet, and I had more and more fruits and vegetables. And I I got down to, um, you know, around 220, I'd say another year later. And I hovered there for a long time. Right right now, I think I'm about 212. Um, I've been down as low as 200. So... You know, it, it was a multi-year process. Most of my clients are not like that. Most, most of my clients do it in a year. They figure mm-hmm. out because I didn't have all the pieces and parts of the system in place yeah, yeah. when I was when I was doing it. That's so, great. And yeah. and um, so you know, it seems like uh, you know what you have. Uh, your conclusion is that you know the power lies within you, and and you can sort of change your uh, change your lifestyle and and your diet. But what do you think about all the sort of the magic pills or the uh, special diets people are running after these days? Uh, what do you think about that? Like, uh, how effective are they? <laughs> um, I, I don't think there's a wake-up skinny pill. I, I wish there was. I wish there was. If, if I discover it, I'll call you at 3 in the morning, even if I'm <laughs> si- sitting in the toilet and having yeah. a non-alcoholic VR. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll call you. But no, I, I don't think there is one. No, but what about, uh, I, I get that, but like, you know, they, I mean, 
let's face it, there are people selling these type of remedies. There are people selling, you know, special diets, special foods. Um, like, what is your opinion about that? I, I get that, you know, there's no magic pill, but um, what should it, what should people be aware of when they're, you know, sort of looking at these uh, options? Well, you know, I'm, I'm not a nutritionist or a dietitian or a medical doctor, so I, I stay away from giving dietary advice, but I'll tell you my personal opinion is that we're meant to eat a lot of fruits and vegetables. There are some people that argue we're meant to eat lean animal protein. I'm not one of them, but some people really believe that, and I, I don't have the wherewithal to debate them. That's it. That We're not really supposed to have a lot, a lot more than, than that. And all of this other, these magic cures, I think they would just be all cleared away if people would stay with whole natural foods. I, I just, yeah. and so, so I don't take, I, I mean, I'm a vegan, so I take a B12 supplement and I take a vitamin D supplement, even though I live in Florida, just to be safe, because right. it, it helps regulate your blood sugar during sleep, and that makes it less likely you're going, you're going to crave during the middle of the night. But um, I, I don't really believe in all this supplementation and superfoods, and I just, you know, get, get your nutrition from food, stay away from all the bags and boxes and containers and labels, and I think you'll be okay. That's, that's my opinion. That's great. Um, and so uh, once you, uh, you know, once you um, were in shape again and you lost the, the extra weight, uh, tell us how it affected your entrepreneurial journey. So you, you said you were in a big debt. Uh, did did uh, getting healthy have an effect? On- yeah. Yeah. I, 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 so I had to start again because I, I, I had had a large clinical practice before the big entrepreneurial problem in 2003. And I took a sabbatical from the practice in order to do that entrepreneurial venture, and that just totally failed. So I had nothing. I was 40 years old, and I had nothing. My wife at the time did the same thing. She told all of her clients she was not doing what she was doing anymore. And so we had to start from scratch. And I, it took me about six months to really get back on track. I also had Lyme disease. But once I was back on track, I started a publishing company, and that started to do really well. And then I got asked to teach what I was doing in the publishing company, and that did really well. The teaching went really well. And then I opened an advertising agency to do it for other people. And I mean, it took us six years to pay back $700,000, but it was a very steady, linear progress, and it was not really frightening. It was sad that we had to pay all that money back, but it was not really frightening. We didn't go bankrupt or anything. And having the clarity of mind really helped. Um, Well, that's not small feat. Like, you know, paying off 700,000 in six years is pretty, it's pretty big deal. So, um, and coming from the point, you know, the point of where you were, like, you know, psychologically, I'm pretty sure it's, it's like, it's uh, almost 200% harder to get out of that situation than if you're just starting from like break even, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the solution to my overeating and the recovery from debt were not were not simultaneous. Mm-hmm. So the first four years or so that I was recovering, I was still binging. Um, and to give, I hate to give my ex-wife this credit, but she really does deserve it. She did an awful lot to help us get out of debt during those, that period. And then I contributed more thereafter. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's a great story. All right. Uh, that brings us to the end of the interview. Thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge and wisdom. I'm sure everyone got a lot of value out of it. 
and uh, you know the the key the key thing i took uh, took away was you know the the power lies within us and uh, our mental capabilities are much more powerful in solving any problem in life that we are facing um, than any external stimulus uh, so thank you for sharing that message uh, now before i let you go can you tell us a little bit about your company and your and uh, how you help people get over their addictions yeah so the company is called never binge again and what I'd like everybody to do is get a free copy of the book in Kindle Nook or PDF format. If you go to neverbingeagain.com and click the big red button, you'll get that. It's also a free set of food plant starter templates for any dietary philosophy. And because this is such a weird idea in theory, I know you must be saying, why does Manoush have a doctor on who's got a pig inside of him? And this is really weird. <laughs> um, it's not really so harsh. It's a very compassionate process. I recorded a bunch of coaching sessions. You can hear them. It's all free. Neverbingeagain.com. Click the big red button. Awesome. The way we help people, uh, we have a lot of free resources like the one I just gave you. We also have a podcast. We have a forum. Um, those are all free. And I've got some trained people that help me to, to run those. And then we have a coaching program. And we also have a coach training program for people who want to use this method in their own practice or want to start a practice doing this. So neverbingeagain.com, you'll, you'll learn about it all. All right. Great. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Uh, Glenn Livingston. And, Glenn. Uh, yeah. uh, um, again, uh, this is Manoj Agarwal, your host of um, Bootstrapping Your Dream Show. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Bye. So again, I'm Manoj Agarwal, and thanks a lot for joining us on Bootstrapping Your Dream Show. And now, if you are an existing or an aspiring technology entrepreneur, then I invite you to check out my new online workshop, Bootstrapping Your Tech Startup Dreams. Go to go.tetranoodle.com slash boot hyphen podcast and sign up for free. I want to make sure more successful and sound decisions are made every day in your tech projects. Let's start finding solutions to your problems. So go to go.tetranoodle.com slash boot hyphen podcast and I look forward to helping you with your tech startup.